So this week, as uh, you are all very aware, the Fort McMurray Wood Buffalo region uh, made the news from coast to coast to coast. We are number one. Yes, we are number one in the amount of COVID per capita in the country. And with that, we are yet again in a state of local emergency. Tomorrow is the uh, fifth anniversary of the wildfire and the state of extreme emergency that we are in. And lots of people are still sorting out that destructive mess. Last week was the one-year anniversary of the flood of the century. Fire, floods, pandemics, and the state of emergencies that come with them. We've got to be the most disaster-experienced people in the country, and I might add the most resilient in the country. But right now, the average person in Fort McMurray is not feeling all that re resilient. COVID-weary might be a better description. The New York Times this past week published an article with the headline, there's a name for the blah that you're feeling. It's called languishing. Languishing, it, it isn't burnout. Uh, we haven't lost all of our energy. It, it isn't uh, depression. We, we, we don't feel all that hopeless, just maybe a little. It's just that so many of us feel joyless and, and aimless, and they call that languishing. Languishing is the not-so-happy state somewhere between uh, depression and, and flourishing. Today, as we're in our fourth uh, message in our series on prayer called Amen, I want to talk about intercession. I want to talk about asking God for others. And it is my conviction that when you begin to pray for the needs of others, that when you intercede on behalf of others, when you take your eyes off of your own needs and seek God for the needs of others, that a transformation takes place in your being that will move you from languishing to flourishing. When Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full, Partnering with what God is doing in this world through intercession is a way to experience this life. And it's a way that we fulfill our, our mission to love. Intercession is an act of love that causes our lives to flourish along with those we pray for. Friends, it's just time that we move from languishing to flourishing, right? And asking on behalf of others is one of the keys. Also, I should say before I get too far that this series is built on the foundation of the Lord's Prayer. And today our understanding of intercession comes from these words that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. When you pray your kingdom come on behalf of other people in this world we live in, you're praying that we would experience more and more of God's perfect future eternal kingdom on earth now. When you pray your kingdom come, you're, you're praying against, you are pushing back against the curse that is on this sin-wrecked world of ours since the days of Adam and Eve. The curse that has made this beautiful world of ours broken, harsh, and so challenging at times to live in. And, and this curse is seen in the sin natures that you and I are both born with. When you pray your kingdom come, you are praying that uh, lives would be made right, where relationships flourish, where health abounds, where life is full of joy. When you pray your kingdom come, you're praying for a world made right, where, where the environment is made right, where justice prevails, and on and on. When you pray your kingdom come, you are praying a very powerful prayer. And as you pray, the lives of others flourish and your life flourishes from the joy of partnering with what God is doing through your prayer. Prayer is really the key to the life that we really do want to experience. 
There's a story from the Jewish Talmud that I picked up from Mark Batterson in his book, The Circle Maker. It's an awesome story of intercession of how one person, just one person, all on their own, interceded and pushed back on the curse and, and saw God answer prayer powerfully. It's not a Bible story, but a story that comes out of our Judeo-Christian heritage of someone who believed a God for the supernatural as he prayed intercessory prayers on behalf of his people. This is a story that is well known to those raised in the Jewish faith. And you might even see a, a parallel in this story to our current situation. It was the first century BC and a devastating drought threatened to take out a generation. Well, we're talking the generation just before Jesus came. It's what we call the intertestamental period, uh, that time between the writing of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament part of our Bible. It was kind of a dark time in the history of Israel. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off something like four centuries earlier. Miracles were ancient history to the people. God seemed distant, nowhere to be heard. It was not only a dry time physically, it was a, it was a dry time spiritually. And might I add, it's a little bit of a dry time spiritually here in Fort McMurray and has been for a while. But back to our story. There was this kind of strange guy, uh, an eccentric sage who lived outside of the walls of Jerusalem. He knew his Bible and he was very aware of the stories of God's great miracles on behalf of his people. And this guy dared to pray. He, he, he dared to intercede on behalf of his people when so many around him lacked faith. His name was Honey. You know, when rain is plentiful, it's kind of an afterthought, right? During a drought, it becomes the only thought. Kind of like a pandemic. And Honey dared to believe that God might just answer prayer to bring rain in the midst of a devastating drought. With a six-foot staff in his hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass. His, his circular movement was uh, rhythmical and methodical. 90 degrees, uh, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He, he never looked up as the crowd looked on. After what seemed like hours, but really was probably just seconds, Honey stood inside the circle that he'd drawn. Then he dropped to his knees, he raised his hands to heaven, and with authority like that of the prophet Elijah who called down fire from heaven, Honey called down rain. Here's what he prayed. Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. Before that first raindrop fell, I mean, Honey must have felt at least a little bit foolish. Standing inside a circle, demanding rain, I, that's a bit risky to do. Vowing that you won't leave the circle until rain is even, till the rain comes, that's like riskier. And hey, Honey just didn't draw a semicircle. No, he, he drew a complete circle. There was, there was no escape clause, no expiry date. Honey just backed himself into a circle and the only way out was a miracle. And then it happened. As his prayer moved through what is really the thin space between uh, earth and heaven, raindrops began to fall. Every head that had been watching and listening to Honey turned upward and started to look at the forming clouds, but, but Honey, he, he, kept his, he kept his head bowed. The people were just pumped at every drop that they felt, but Honey was not satisfied with just a sprinkle. 
still kneeling within the circle, Honey lifted his voice over the sounds of all of the celebration. He said, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than a, an egg in size. It, it rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the, uh, to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. Honey stayed and prayed inside his protracted circle. Once more, he refined his bold request. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. And as the story goes, it then, it then began to rain, you know, peacefully, calmly, incredible. Each raindrop was a, a, an incredible, tangible token of God's grace. And, and that rain just didn't soak the skin. Man, it, it, it soaked the spirit with faith. And that day would be forever remembered in the annals of Jewish history. The day the legend of Honi, the circle maker, was born. You know, the day before that day, it, it was pretty difficult to believe that God would do anything, that God cared about anything. The day after that day, it was impossible not to believe. That's the power of one person, just one person full of faith who would choose to intercede on behalf of his people, who would push back against the curse, against the drought, and pray for God's supernatural intervention. Friends, that is the power of one person who prays. Walter Wink is an American uh, theologian who passed away in 2012. I've always appreciated his passion for prayer, and he wrote this in a book called The Powers That Be. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. By means of our intercessions, we veritably cast fire upon the earth and trumpet the future into being. Yeah, that's what happens when we pray, your kingdom come. Friends, we, we must understand that the Bible teaches that our prayers are incredibly powerful. That's why the Lord's Prayer just doesn't teach us to pray uh, for our daily bread, but to pray for a total change to everything in this world for the better as we pray for the coming of God's kingdom on earth. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament part of our Bibles, there is this incredible promise that was given to the people of Israel that I believe reflects God's heart for his people throughout the ages. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's the power of intercession. The forgiveness of a nation's sins and the healing of the land can happen through the prayers of God's people. And hey, you know this is true. I mean, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you will know stories. Heck, you will have, you'll have your own stories of a time when your prayers made a dramatic difference in the life of someone else. You heard from uh, Lucas earlier in the service about his experience at the Soul Care Conference last weekend in uh, Grand Prairie, a, a conference that we're going to hold in the fall. Last week, I, I talked about the idea that when we pray, coincidences happen. Well, one of the things that I prayed as Lucas headed off to Soul Care is that he would have an unmistakably divine experience with the Holy Spirit. And as you heard, he figured that going to a session on wounds was kind of a waste of time. He didn't have any wounds. That was until the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, 
pointed him to a wound coming out of the wildfire. And the Spirit worked at bringing healing to Lucas over that. When we pray, coincidences happen. When we don't, they don't. And I'm pretty pumped for that little coincidence in Lucas's life. I mean, it's so awesome to see God at work in anyone's life, right? In the Old Testament days of Ezekiel, God searched in vain for someone, uh, let me quote, to stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. Friends, that's what we do with intercessory prayer. We, We stand in the gap between a holy God and the needs of other people in this world. What we do is we plead with God on behalf of other people and at the same time we plead with people on behalf of God right? We, we stand in the gap. And, and as we talked about last week, we, we listen for the voice of the Spirit to lead us in our prayers because we, we want to be in partnership with God, with what God wants to do in this world. But then one of the best ways to pray for others and to pray for our land is, is again, as we said last week, to pray the Bible, to pray the promises of Scripture. I love this quote from Jonathan Edwards. Uh, He's an American revivalist preacher in the first half of the 1700s. He writes, That which God abundantly makes the subject of his promises, God's people should abundantly make the subject of their prayers. Yeah. We go to God's word, the scriptures, to get a direction on what to pray for others. What I would uh, encourage you to do is find relevant promises in God's word and focus them on a particular person, place, or situation. Because when you use God's promises in your prayer, you can be sure that you are interceding for them in line with God's purposes. We listen for God's spirit to prompt us, to lead us, to speak to us about how we should pray. But even more importantly, we, we go to the promises of the Bible, and often, you know, when we're immersed in God's words, that's when God's Spirit chooses to speak to us. Okay, one more story about the power of intercessory prayer. The first story I told was of Honi, uh, when one person prayed. This is a story of when a nation prayed. This story is from well before uh, most of us were born, but heck, not all of us. It's May 1940, as the Second World War is entering into its darkest and, and most dangerous period. You may have seen the movie, the 2017 movie Dunkirk, about the Battle of Dunkirk. Rotten Tomatoes gives the movie 92% from the critics and 81% from the public. So yeah, a well-done war story. I loved it. But the story that I have, I've I've grabbed from Pete Gregg of the Prayer Course, is a behind-the-scenes reality that that really happened that uh, Hollywood leaves out of the story, although when they first put it up on their official webpage, they, they did mention it on the webpage. But I think as you watch this movie, it would be great to know this story that's really behind what you're watching. The Allied forces led by Britain, and it includes a handful of Canadians among others, were trapped by the advancing Nazi forces with their backs to the sea at Dunkirk, which is a a coastal town in northern France. The German High Command had announced that its troops were proceeding to annihilate the British Army, Winston Churchill was preparing to announce an unprecedented military catastrophe. It was estimated that the Allied forces were about to lose a third of a million soldiers. In total despair, King George VI took to the airwaves on Thursday, May 23, 1940, calling the people of Great Britain to a national day of prayer um, on that following Sunday. 
On that Sunday, thousands upon thousands crowded into cathedrals, churches, and chapels and spilled out onto the streets as an entire nation united in prayer, seeking God for deliverance. The very next day, a, a flotilla of some 860 vessels, mostly civilian boats, set out to cross the English Channel in a, in a desperate, ramshackle attempt to rescue the besieged Allies' forces. Churchill's goal was maybe to rescue 30,000 men or 10% of that beleaguered army. It was a high-risk mission, but they had to do something. By the time their ships uh, reached France, they were totally vulnerable to a German air attack. So too, the Allied army, all crowded on the beach at Dunkirk, they were just sitting targets there. But then, only God. All of a sudden, unseasonal storms blew up, battering the European mainland so violently that the Luftwaffe, the, the German air force in that region, was grounded and unable to attack. Unexplainable. At the very same time, Hitler had ordered his ground forces to halt. No one knows why. For three days, they didn't move. Hitler's generals were furious. Military historians to this day have no explanation as to why Hitler did what he did. It was one huge tactical error. This gave this ragtag rescue group three days to rescue those at Dunkirk before the Germans were able to resume their attack. On Wednesday, three days after the National Day of Prayer, an extraordinary calm descended upon the English Channel. It was exactly what was needed to allow all these overloaded boats to get back to England. By the time the Germans got back into the battle, more than 338,000 men had been rescued, 10 times the expected number, including 140,000 French, Belgian, Dutch, Polish soldiers, along with a few Canadians. The British and their allies instantly called this the miracle of Dunkirk. Uh, on June 4, 1940, Churchill called this a miracle of deliverance. A second day of prayer was called to thank God for the deliverance of a third of a million lives. That confounded the, you know, the plans of the enemy. And the battle of Dunkirk, really the miracle of Dunkirk, changed the entire trajectory of World War II. I mean, military historians uh, are convinced of it. And by the way, King George prayed the scriptures. And one of the scriptures he prayed was, the Lord will give strength to his people, the Lord will bless his people with peace. Intercessors pray the promises of the Bible. And today, you and I are direct beneficiaries of the intercessory prayers of the people of Britain, led by King George VI. We would be living in a very different world apart from those intercessory prayers. Okay, before we move to responding with communion worship, let me wrap up with one more Walter Wink quote. Intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. I like that. It's just another way of saying your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. With intercessory prayer, we push back on the curse and we bring heaven to earth. We bring heaven to the lives of people we are praying for. We bring heaven to the situations we are praying for. And in the process... I move my center of gravity away from me and my personal needs, and I move it to the needs of others. And as I shift my focus to the needs of others, I am blessed as they are blessed as together we flourish. 
Are, are you languishing a bit as this pandemic drags on? Could I suggest get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes on others and pray? And as you pray, everything will change for you and for those you are praying for. So would you join me for a moment of prayer? And as I pray, just take this prayer and make it your own personal prayer. Pray along with me, Lord Jesus. Teach me to pray. Not, not just to pray for myself, but to pray for others, to, to pray for this world. You use me through prayer to see more and more of your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. That your kingdom would come to my own life, to the lives of others, and, and this world that I live in. Help me to love others by being an intercessor. You use my prayers to make a difference for your glory. I, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, wrap up the service, would you grab some juice and bread for our celebration of communion? Communion uh, celebrates the fact that Jesus' death on the cross reversed the power of the curse. The, the Apostle Paul describes it like this. It is true that through the sin of one man, death began to rule because of that one man. But how much greater is the result of what was done by the one man, Jesus Christ? All who receive God's abundant grace and are freely put right with him will rule in life through Christ. And just as people were made sinners as the result of the disobedience of one man, in the same way they will be put right with God as the result of the obedience of the one man. Friends, the death of Jesus reverses the devastating impact of sin and the curse on our lives in the lives of those we pray for, and ultimately, it, it will reverse the devastating impact of sin on this planet. Because of the death of Jesus, we can pray your kingdom come. We, we won't fully experience the benefits of the cross until Jesus returns, but we can sure see more and more of God's kingdom come. What you see pictured here at the communion table, it, it is what guarantees that we can pray in confidence, your kingdom come. As we take bread, that pictures the body of Jesus nailed to the cross to pay the penalty demanded by sin. As we drink juice, that pictures the blood of Jesus that releases us from the power of sin in our lives, releases the power of sin in the lives of those that we pray for, that releases the power of sin in this world that we live in. As you do that, would you give thanks to Jesus that his body and blood is all that we need to experience wholeness, the wholeness we yearn for, the flourishing that our lives are chasing after. So let me pray. And then after I pray, take a piece of bread and let's eat as an act of, of worship and remembrance together. Father God, I do thank you for your death on the cross that pays the penalty for my sin, your death that undoes the work of the curse, your death that allows me to experience your kingdom come more and more now and will allow me to experience it come eternity. I give thanks, I worship you, I marvel at the power of the cross and I eat as an act of worship and remembrance for the glory of your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat and worship together.
The scriptures tell us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we are set free to live transformed, flourishing lives. Let us give thanks together. Father, I thank you that on the cross, you shed your blood for me and for everyone who would come to you and ask for the forgiveness of their sins and seek to live for you. Lord, would you just apply the work of your blood on our lives? Allow us to experience lives that are set free uh, from bondage, from sickness, from just everything that is, is causing us to languish. And Father, use us as agents to bring the power of your blood to the lives of others. Thank you that you so loved us that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to shed blood that we might have life now and forever. We give thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink as an act of worship together.